The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. Hey, hey, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod. We are part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Zone Coverage on Twitter at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. Producing today is at I am Justin Bailey. I believe I have that correct. He did write an article for us on T- Zone T- Coverage. T Wolves Gaming. T Wolves Gaming, which Trevor May was repping the other day on his sweatshirt. And yeah. so. They've got some love out there in the gaming uh, stratosphere. It's a cool system. I don't. I don't totally understand how NBA teams got into gaming, but I think it's. Rad. I, I think it's just a similar demographic that a lot of people who watch the NBA are yeah. younger and play video games. It's just yeah. to me though. It is, it's surprising that it came together that way. But hey, if there's money in it and people can have some fun, I'm all for it. Now. Before we get to today's show, thank you so much for your reviews on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Those reviews are huge for us. Five stars moves us up charts, helps us with advertisers, helps us with whoever needs to help us out with the show. So if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you're listening, if they have a spot to review us, five stars is huge. Reach out to me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. If you don't like the show, reach out on there if you say you want to, if you want to say you like the show as well. It, doesn't really make any difference to me. We love to hear from our fans because without you, we can't do the show. So thank you for your support. A little later in the show, we're going to have Derek Cardi, a fantasy baseball, especially DFS expert, who you'll be able to follow on Twitter at Derek Cardi. But before we get to him and before we get to the potential of a rainy Drizzly Twins game tonight, we do, Tom, need to recap the last two nights, the bullpen implosions both from Big Bert, Adalberto Mejia. I'm going to start calling him Big Bert, by the way. So we'll see if it catches on. But um, Starbucks and Big Bert. Starbucks is my favorite one. I don't know if Justin's seen that, but hashtag Starbucks for Byron Buxton. I think I think that works. Justin disapproves. He's he's too good for that. He's a he's a care. But what what do they, what do they have for coffee in in Wisconsin? Quick Trip. <laughs> he nods. Quick, actually, Karuba Coffee is pretty darn good. So Karuba Gold, baby. Yeah, Karuba is actually. <laughs> Karuba is actually pretty good, so I can't get mad about that. It's a drizzly, nasty Wednesday. I don't know if there's going to be baseball tonight, but boy, I tell you what, Tom. Um, Trevor May, too, giving up runs on on Tuesday night was surprising. Yeah. Trevor Hildenberger coming in, not being able to keep them at bay. I, The way I look at this is, um, this is my, my dumb analogy, but with any team, I feel like if the team's a boat, the offense is the motor. And the, I thought you said a boat like Canadian. I was like, the Blue Jays are in town. So yeah, 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 yeah. What's this team all about? And, uh, <laughs> Sorry, back to the rudders. Um, and the and the pitching's the rudder, right, or the defense. This is a team that has a large motor and is completely out of control. They're like, rudderless. Yeah. I mean, I, the, it seems like the hitting always has to keep up with the pitching, or at least it has recently. Well, it was true yesterday. I mean, Eddie Rosario needed to absolutely pace that. And he run. did. And he did. And Marwin hit one, I think, even further. Yeah, and it was a hell of a relay. And came cr- up. Uh, no? I don't think that um, – Rocco said that too. He said it was a good relay. I think it was a big league play that – Yeah, no, no, it was perfectly executed. But I here's guess. what I say. Live to fight another day. If that's the the winning run, send him. Yep. Since it's not, hold him up because you're at the lead – and you actually, you saw that tweet I sent out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
let your leadoff guy hit because if they pitch around Kepler, which they're not going to, but Giles doesn't have great command and he's a fastball guy. If he can't locate his breaking stuff, it's just fastball, fastball, fastball. I like Kepler in that matchup. But if they walk Kepler for any reason, Polanco's the hottest hitter, definitely on the Twins, maybe yep. in baseball. I like your chances. And so I, I thought – No, I – Crone – the, the other the, – the worst part of that was that Crone was the runner and they had just lifted Cruz for a pinch runner. Yep. Cruz got erased on the double play ball that, that Crone hit and then legged out. It was just like that bad luck. You know, I, if, if, if Scope is running for Crone, maybe he scores. Sure. And I, it was funny. I think you had tweeted out too – this is a team that just substitutes power for power, right? Or whatever. Yeah, like, the scope pinch running was not. Yeah. He ran for Cruz, and I'm like, wow, so much power you're using it to pinch run. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I don't know if I'd love sending him there. It was a bang bang play. There's, you can overanalyze that stuff early in the season. What we learned is we obviously know this is not a great schedule. I think Mitch Garver was asked, Mitch Garver, leadoff hitter, was asked um, about the, the schedule and he kind of tongue in cheek was like, Oh, it's great. But as far as I, time off and everything. Yeah. Because I don't think those teams, they want to have that time off at the end of the season when they're worn out. Yep. Um, it also, they want to get in a rhythm in the season. So it sounds like a weird complaint, like, Oh, we got a day off that we can hang out in New York or I mean, Philly or, or Philly, uh, cool places. I mean, really all three of them, but like I, that's not, they, they want to play every day, get in rhythm. The other thing is now they have to play, I believe it's 40 games in 41 days, assuming that no rainouts and all that. Mm -hmm. So early in the season, and, and again, I just took note of this. In my mind, there's four relievers that you can use to put out a fire. That's Parker, who's been shaky at times, yep. at least was, especially in the first outing. Also the guy they signed, right? They're kind mm -hmm. of big signing, if you will. Um, May Rogers Hildenberg. And, and then depending on where you sit on Harper. Yeah, and Harper's like this kind of funny X factor that even if he gets through the early part of the season, he's valuable. Sure. And it's it's a it's almost of no cost to the team given that he was in the minors but last year. But also Duffy pitched well last night. Yeah. And so it's like when when Mejia doesn't pitch well, you're like, okay, we get it. At least it was like the expectations weren't that high. Although he's a converted, he, sh he should have velocity. Converted starter in what? It was a trade with the Giants. So it was the Nunez trade. Nunez trade. It should be should be good, but when when May has the hiccup and then Duffy's good, you're like, whoa, 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 wait. What? Yeah, that I, seems I, I still don't know what to make of Duffy. Duffy, you know, famously, ironically, in Toronto, struggled early in First his career. Third. Yep, and it seems like he should be like a reliable depth guy. I don't know if he's going to be like your, your high leveraged guy, no. but, but they've been working on him with, with him on tunneling too. And for a guy who throws a, a knuckle curve and a fastball up, when those come out of the same tunnel, you're going to get ugly swings. And we saw that. And he's been messing with a two seamer a little bit and he's changing things a little bit. He's not going to be their closer, their high end reliever, but he gives if he's depth. depth. He's valuable. He gives my, length. My, my point there. And this is thinking a little big picture and then bringing it into micro. If they figure out how to develop pitchers, and to be fair, I think the Rays have, and you mm -hmm. may want to, yep. I've always gone to the Cardinals because the Cardinals always have pitchers, but you may want to start plucking guys from systems that someone tell you how they evaluate those pitchers and how they have so many arms. Yeah. Because it, a failed starter can be a good reliever, Joe Nathan, for example, right? It should be, frankly. Yeah. Mejia probably should be better, all that stuff. The, the Where they sit right now, May occasionally is going to struggle. Hildenberger, any of these, any of their, you know, Rogers, any of their good pitchers, right? Mm -hmm. Any of those guys will go through a bad spell. That's fine. That's expected of um, a player throughout the course of the year. Sometimes it's just even odds kind of adding up. But 
if they don't have depth beyond that, you can't consistently go back to those arms. I think that was actually something Mulder was a fault of his, is that he seemed to really rely, because in the moment you don't want to give up the lead, right? There's the competitive side to him. It seemed like he just wear out his best guys because he kept on going to him over and over. And mm-hmm. I'm sure Rocky or Rocco has <laughs> Rocky Baldello. <laughs> that'd be a funny name. That'd be a great name, actually. I was actually um, doing the opposite of Spoonerisms on Twitter today, <laughs> and I did Busty Poser, <laughs> and uh, whew, got hot in here real quick. Um, real quick, but uh, <laughs> sorry. Back to Rocky Baldello. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. I'm sure Michael he Schreier's is over there blushing. Yeah, it was, it's been a long, long minute there. But um, the uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he has a system in place to ensure that he won't go to the same guy over and over no, yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, it means that Mejia, because I covered that was Monday's game, I believe. My gut was telling me, get him out of there before you blow the lead. The intellectual side of me is like, no, you got to. I mean, maybe I guess you keep with Harper for but an extra mean, inning or I mean, whatever. Who else do you put in after you're in that spot? Yeah, and... People want these quick fixes. I, I'm not convinced spending a lot of money on relievers is a great call. No, it's horrible. I, I'll, I'll hear the Kimbrell argument, but I, you got to be careful with him. The two-year deal is the is the the magic spot for him. Yeah. Where you, if you're going to give up a pick, it's time to do a two-year deal. Or, or, or you, you wait until after the draft. Which maybe is the right call because unlike— It's only a month, of, month away. Yep, and unlike Morales, I think of, yep. I think hitters need a whole spring training and a whole regimen to get ready. I think Marwin Gonzalez, for example, will touch on him, I'm sure. Uh, probably Miguel Sano, too. Right. They Gonzalez might maybe just got off to a slow start because he was signed so late, right? Yep. I think relievers come in and do their job. I, I, I don't—I could be wrong, but I, I think that that is a different situation than a hitter, mm-hmm. and maybe you sign sure. him then. So— I um there's all sorts of factors that go in there. The problem is that's an institutional problem, not like a off-season management issue in my mind. And it's a problem because the Twins need it right now. Because the the offense is good enough to take advantage of a bad division, mm-hmm. Cleveland being cheap and kind of faltering a little bit. And it's going to make games frustrating to watch because you never know if a lead is good enough. Until it, it, until it's done, yeah. yeah because it's it's a it, it's hard to watch a team catch up every night. Right. And it's hard to see a team blow leads every night, and that will wear on the morale of the team. So, sure. it's an obvious problem without an obvious solution. Um, and luckily, there's four guys I think who are good in the bullpen, and maybe a, a Duffy takes the next step, which for him is just being a major league reliever, nothing more. Right. Well, I think the thing we can agree on is that Jake Odorizzi needs to give him about six or seven solid tonight yep. if they play. Um, and if they don't play a doubleheader is not great for a bullpen in this situation. No, but let's go through that rotation. Sure. We like Barrios. Yep. I, he's lived up to the billing. He just can't, his, his, uh, you know, off speed stuff can't flatten out. That's the only thing right, I see where right. he, he struggles. Gibson t- took a small step there. And I hope that this is just recovery from E. Coli as weird as that sounds. Um, it's not a old Gibson problem of him not being able to get out of an inning because no in fact he said he he executed well last night it just was pitches that um he, he didn't throw a slider until the fifth inning which is a big pitch for him and then he used it on I was like Rowdy Telez and one other guy uh that he struck out yeah. and so he, he saved that in his back pocket he felt like he executed well enough it just things kind of snowballed on yeah. him so he he thinks he's moving in the right direction Odorizzi um, is who he is. I don't, I don't know really what to say. Depends more on than the that. day, really. Yeah. Um, so that means Pineda needs to be healthy. Pineda. I think it means, he is. He's 
he's been really good. Yeah, Perez looks like he's he's all right. He can hold down a spot. Yep. And then I think the hope is really like a Stewart Gonsalves. Someone pushes Littell. those guys. Lit, yeah, Latell. I have a little less faith in, but yeah. But I mean, he's decent. Yeah, Cole Stewart looks like it's the first inning is his issue. I know. Yeah, he I really struggled last time out. Yeah, and they should have some re- reinforcements. I believe in Moya. At least I've seen enough that he could be good. I think um, as an opener. Yeah. Well, or just a bullpen help. Yeah. Like yeah. depth, and then the other Jake one is Reed should get a chance. Yeah, he's he's looked. Good in the minors. And Fernando Romero, I think, is who you were going to. Romero, for sure. I actually, that that one is frustrating because he has his stuff. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think the other one is McGill. Whether yeah. because they oh, yeah, they yeah. had faith in him, big time so. stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, they're going to have to sort out a lot of things. Figure out when Addison Reed's coming back, which doesn't sound yeah. imminent either. But they've got a lot to sort out that's more nuanced than just sign Craig Kimbrell, sign Dallas Keuchel, trade for Michael Givens of the Orioles. They got a lot of things to iron out. Hopefully by the next time we chat next week, they will have those things ironed out. But let's do this. Let's move on. We've got a guest waiting on the line here. And so we'll bring on Derek Cardi to talk a little bit of fantasy baseball and his projection system. All right, and now on the line we have Derek Cardi. You can find him on Twitter at Derek Cardi. You might remember him from ESPN Baseball Tonight. Any any number of places he does a projection system that we'll talk about extensively called the Bat and also the Blitz for football. We'll focus on baseball today. But Derek, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to finally kind of network up with you outside of the internet, which is is kind of how we all get to know each other in this day and age as far as the baseball community. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And so where, where are we catching you at? Because I don't even know where you live. Uh, I'm in New Jersey. Okay. I knew you had worked with ESPN for a while, and so I assumed that you had probably to go into Bristol or, or to New York City for that kind of thing, right? Yeah, when I was on, when I was on Baseball Tonight, it was up in Bristol. So uh, I went up basically the whole summer. I stayed up there about half the week. You know, they'd put me up, I'd hang out, do a few shows and then, and then come home for the weekend basically. Well, let's talk about baseball tonight for just a second before we dive into stuff about you. How bummed are you that it's no longer a thing? Because I grew up watching that with my brother and, and, you know, the, the warm summer nights with the windows open and, you know, getting home from my ball games and watching baseball tonight. And now it's no longer a thing. That's kind of disappointing. It's really disappointing. I grew up watching it, and obviously, I, I had so much fun being a part of it. It's uh, you know, it's kind of sad when when you reach the end of an era. For sure. So, how did you get into baseball? Because I mean, for me, I watched it at my grandma's house when I was a, a young boy, and just kind of realized that it was something I really wanted to get into. And then Moneyball kind of took me from the home runs and RBIs and batting average guy into the guy that I am now. But I don't know that that's necessarily typical. I'm 33, so that was my evolution was like Moneyball came out when I was in my late teens, and then I started reading Baseball Prospectus and dreamed of getting my name in there one time and eventually did, and that was cool too. But how was your evolution into becoming a baseball fan and then becoming where you are today? I mean, mine sounds kind of similar. Like I I loved sports growing up. I played basketball. Um, I uh, super into watching sports and, and playing sports. And then uh, around high school, I also read Moneyball for the first time. And I was always really good in school. Like, I loved math. I got straight mm-hmm. A's. I was on a roll, all that kind of stuff. And and then I realized, like, hey, I can I can combine math with sports. And that was really cool. And so I, I started kind of 
just messing around a little bit writing. I started like this little like blog spot blog. <laughs> um, and after like a couple months, um, the hardball times noticed and they asked me to come and start their, their fantasy section. And, and at the time they were, they were my favorite, my favorite site. There were a lot of really smart guys, uh, writing for the hardball times. And so it was great kind of joining them. Now the hardball times is a part of fan graphs. Right. Um, and I, I spent some time at baseball prospectus also, and then DFS came around, and that was kind of like the natural the natural path for me. As a brief aside, did you like the Moneyball movie? I did. Like, it wasn't like, you know, this this movie that I guess, like, if you're super into, like, you know, math and sabermetrics, like, there, there are things you can pick at. But I thought it was – I thought it was entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it it stuck close enough to the story for me that it was – I mean, they didn't go down the – was it the 2001 draft or 2002 where it was Nick Swisher and – Jeremy Bonderman and they really wanted to get a couple other guys and they draft Jeremy right. Brown wasn't slavish to that and they did have some things as far as like I think it was about well, Jeremy Giambi was the guy who slid in right they didn't slide it didn't slide yeah, yeah. and that they messed his timeline they up. messed up well they messed up a few probably. things about like Chad Bradford too but I think at the most uh, for the most part I think it was close enough to the story it's, that it's, I thought it was it was solid it's ultimately and obviously you're Minnesota based here it's ultimately a twins story because the, twi- the twins beat them they, michael michael was it michael lewis wanted terry yeah. ryan and the twins to be the first moneyball team and they said no thank you but the twins beat the moneyball ace i think the only time garden has beaten won a series in the postseason Ugh, gross, yeah, gross. That crazy? that's not gonna change this year <laughs> i had no idea that michael lewis wanted to do it about the twins because i mean up until recently the twins weren't really very analytically inclined were they it was, no it was about like the fact that they couldn't pay players and so it was called uh, being cheap <laughs> <laughs> well, i think it was that that, it, that that churn allowed them to be successful because they were never paying guys more than they might have been been worth if they got hurt the justin morneau concussion thing and the joe mauer concussion thing i mean concussions rocked the twins very significantly in a very short time but back before that guys like cory koski again a concussion thing but um when guys would go elsewhere and become overpaid for their their value because of their age or because of just decline that never happened to the twins because they never had the luxury of actually paying those guys and i don't know if that would have been the angle but i think that the idea that that would have been their competitive um what do they call it where you're searching for the the game's inefficient yeah inefficiencies or efficiency the Yeah, yeah yeah so I don't know that that's necessarily a market inefficiency as much as it is, yeah, the Metrodome, um, you know, significantly capped their resources. And for some reason, they agreed to a deal where all this, the concession money went to the Vikings, I think. And so it was a really weird building. I don't know if you ever went. It was but a it, bad baseball Bad building. baseball stadium, bad sight lines. I never got to go. <laughs> Just thank God, honestly. It was You're so very bad. lucky. You're very lucky. So um, they were going to be the Moneyball team, and Terry Ryan, a notoriously – um, I don't know if you'd say humble. He's, he's frugal. Frugal. Not not the kind of guy that wants attention. I, I would imagine that's why he wanted to stay away from it because he also, too, probably didn't want anyone to know what he was up to at any given time. Yeah, his, his first stint was incredibly successful. People and then the second that. one, yeah. 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 So, um, well, well, cool. That's cool. Uh, it's good to see that you got into baseball through Moneyball and, and reading some of those sites as well. How how did you find out though that fantasy baseball was your thing or that DFS especially? I mean, you kind of touched on that in terms of math and baseball and the the marriage of those things. But DFS to me is is a completely different animal. I've dabbled in it. I have never done a lot because I've never been particularly good at it. But to me, that too seems like it's another level that you kind of have to convince yourself you're 
capable of or qualified to, to analyze. Right. So, so I always loved fantasy baseball. Like I played in high school with my friends and, and I always lost, I was always terrible uh, <laughs> up, up until I discovered Moneyball, And then that's when, that's when I really started kind of putting it together because I wanted to be good at my fantasy baseball league. That's why I kind of started it in the first place. Um, and then, you know, a few years later, DFS came around and at that point I'd already started kind of building, uh, the bat projection system, uh, for season long purposes and then when daily happened and I started kind of dabbling in that, I was like, you know, this is a lot of fun. This is actually a lot more analytically rigorous than, than season long. There's so many other factors you have to consider. Like in season long factors, like, like umpires and weather and stuff like that, they all kind of tend to, to even out over the course of a season for the most part. Right. Um, but, but on a daily basis, they can swing things pretty dramatically. And so I love the challenge of all these extra factors and things to analyze and stuff like that. Uh, and so daily really kind of kind of spoke to me from from that perspective. So what compels someone to start a projection system? I mean, we know Dan Zimborski does zips and we know Marcel and all those. What compels someone to create any sort of a projection system? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I guess at the time I wanted an edge on my my season long um, competition. So, so you're still playing season long besides? I still play season long. Sure. I do mostly daily, but I play in a I play in the two big uh, season long expert leagues, Tout Wars and Labor. Um, so I still play in that. I've been playing in them for years, mm-hmm. and so so I love doing that. Uh, even though most of my time in season is spent is spent on daily. So how do you balance that time? Is it difficult? It's a little difficult, um, but you know, a few years back, like I, I used to play in I don't know anywhere from from like five to ten season long leagues per year, mm-hmm. and and I got to a point where I was like, I I can't do this. I can't give them all the attention they deserve. I can't be trying to make trades or even you know setting lineups and making waiver pickups like takes a lot of time with that many leagues. So I was like, I'm just going to cut it back to the two I care about the most, and I'm going to give them you know the full amount of attention that they deserve, and then. You know, that's kind of been the way I've been able to balance it, just kind of cutting back on on the sheer number of leagues that I do. No, brief aside, I, th- I saw that you do the blitz system. How, may- how much do you do for fantasy football then? Yeah, so I started the blitz about two years ago. Um, you know, the bat had done really well, had developed, you know, you know, a really strong reputation. And and I was like, you know, I want to move into into another sport like football's really big. I like watching football on TV. Um, and, you know, I kind of started digging into the numbers a little bit and being like, you know, I think there's some some stuff here and some ways to analyze this and some things that that people really aren't considering and that I think, you know, I can develop an edge with. And so I kind of developed the blitz and it's just been fantastic the first couple of years so far. Like it's been it's been great. So are they like your children as far as like you are very, <laughs> very protective of them and, and very cautious of how you're maintaining and, and watching their development? Absolutely. They, they are my babies. 100%. For sure. Um, I keep them, I keep them locked away. No, no one else has access to them. Um, I'm constantly kind of monitoring them and, and thinking about new things and ways to, to improve them and things that I can upgrade or add to them or different, you know, just different things that can kind of help provide edge. Well, it sounds like, you know, that it's kind of like the Bush's baked beans recipe. Then you want to have the, the secret recipe and just kind of keep it to yourself. Now, what I want to know, though, is for someone who may not know much about projection systems at all, what does the bat do? Like, take that wherever you want. You don't have to let me lead you in any certain way. But what does it do specifically? And how can how can people that hear this and say, I want to find that, you know, what's the best way to find that? 
So, uh, so first, like if you're looking for it, um, over at Fangraphs, you can find the season long version. It's completely free. It's on all the player pages. It's under the projections tab. It works with their auction calculator. Sweet. Um, last year, Fantasy Pros ran a uh, um, an accuracy kind of contest between all the different you know projection systems that were out there. The bat was the most accurate of all of the the non aggregate systems last year, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's awesome for sure. Um, and then the, the daily fantasy version, you know, that you can use for, you know, for your daily streaming options or obviously on, on DraftKings and FanDuel and that kind of thing. That's over at Roto-Grinders. Okay. Um, yeah, but basically like what these systems try to do, <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, but they, they project what a player is going to do. And it kind of looks at a whole bunch of different factors and kind of has, uh, I guess, an underlying assumption for everything, an underlying assumption for how good every hitter is, how good every pitcher is, how good every ballpark is, you know, umpire, catchers, defense, weather, all these kinds of things. And then it kind of looks at the matchup every single day. It looks at all the different factors. And, you know, this is very sim- very much simplifying it, but it kind of combines them all and says, okay, you know, this hitter is in this park against this pitcher and he's got the platoon advantage and their splits are like this. Mm-hmm. And this is the umpire and this is how the catcher frames pitches. And, and then it puts it all together and says, okay, today, you know, this pitcher has a 52% chance of getting the win. And if we were to play this out a million times, he would average a 3.52 ERA with seven and a half strikeouts or whatever it is. And that's kind of what it does. That's awesome. Yeah. No, we don't want to give too much of it away. We want to help you pick the beats and sell them, not give them away. So I appreciate your your perspective there. Now, a few things I wonder, and I'm just going to kind of lay them out there and let you go as you will. What does it do well and what do you wish it did better? Um, it's funny because it's almost the same answer. So like um, the thing that people always – like really rave about with it is that it picks the kind of the cheaper uh, SP2s we call them in DFS. Like the mm-hmm. on DraftKings, you need to draft two starters, and and the kind of the way people tend to approach it a lot of times is like you pick your ace as your first starter. You know whoever's playing that day, Degrom or you know Sale or probably not Sale right now, but <laughs> no. but someone like that. Um, and then like uh, to save money, you'll go cheaper with your second starter, and and the bat's been really fantastic at picking them out because the bat is objective. It's not afraid to be like, you know what? You should play Jason Vargas today. Nobody is going to look at Jason Vargas themselves and be like, you know what? I want to play Jason Vargas today. That's awesome. Jason Vargas is terrible. But when Jason Vargas is in the right matchup and when he's cheap enough, he can be worth it. The bat, I think, recommended Jason Vargas like four or five times last year, and he was great every single start. And it's those kind of guys that that I think the bat uh, really, really thrives with. Well, and it allows you to bone up on hitters too, which can be a little more volatile. But then if you get to, you know, use a little less money on pitching and you can go with a few more stars or sneak a Mike Trout in where you might be going with like a George Springer, that extra boost can obviously be a big difference. So what what systems were an inspiration for you? And I'm not necessarily saying like you wanted to copy what they did, but you saw those and you're like, hmm, I could do that too. Um, Obviously... Marcel, you know, Tom Tango's Marcel was kind of like the baseline, you know, that that's the the standard that all projection systems are kind of uh, measured against. And that kind of got me just thinking about a little bit more. And then obviously Pakoda with Baseball Prospectus, I thought was really cool. Uh, Brian Cartwright's Oliver back around the time. I don't think he, well, I know he doesn't make it public anymore. I think he has uh, deals with teams and, and different people and stuff like that. But at the time he was making that public and I thought that was really cool. Um, and then a lot of guys um, that were either working with with hardball times and baseball prospectus and doing 
projectiony type stuff. Like I loved kind of talking with and picking their brains uh, and learning how to do um, certain things. And and a lot of those guys now are are working with with major league clubs, which is which is really cool. So um, there there's definitely been a lot of inspirations and a lot of people that have kind of helped me out along the way and taught me things and and it's been it's been fun. I saw that you did scout school. What was that like? Oh, scout school was great. Um, that was uh, I don't know, maybe close to maybe close to 10 years ago now. It was, I think it was a long time ago. Um, but scout school was so much fun. Basically you spend, you spend two or three weeks out in Arizona and you just do nothing except that you wake up in the morning, you go, you eat breakfast, you go into, you go into a big room. Um, you know, you learn stuff, all the different instructors are showing you video and talking about things and you can ask them questions, um, about like how to evaluate whatever it is we're doing that day. And then we go over to the ballpark for either the instructional leagues or the Arizona fall league. And you kind of look at the players and, and you try to scout them on your own and the instructors are there and you can kind of ask them questions throughout it. Um, and then you kind of, you go home, um, you write up your report. Um, they evaluate it for you. You sit down one-on-one with them. They kind of give you feedback on what, what maybe you're missing or what you're seeing well, or, you know, what they saw that maybe you didn't see. Um, and it's just kind of like a feedback loop type of thing. And, and you do that basically for, for two or three weeks. And it was just, it was so cool. Can I, can I ask you how much it cost all, all told? I don't remember because to go there, uh, you needed a, a sponsorship from the major league club. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the clubs basically pay the way for, for pretty much anyone they send. Most clubs get to send like two or three guys per year. Um, for me, because I wasn't working for a team, I just happened to get a club that was willing to sponsor me, which is very rare. I was very, very lucky to be able to do that. Um, I did, I think, have to pay my own way, but I can't remember what it cost. I think it was, I think it was pretty, pretty minimal because the program itself you didn't have to pay for because Major League Baseball provides it for the teams. I think I just had to pay basically uh, for like airfare and hotel and that kind of thing. So what I want to do before we let you go, and it's not like we're ready to let you go anytime soon here, but um, – I want to ask you some of these hot starts, slow starts, and if you're buying or selling them as far as if they're sustainable. Now, if a guy's hitting 450 like a Cody Bellinger, I'm not asking you if you think he's going to hit 450, but do you think he's going to continue to be a stud and and that sort of thing? So uh, does that sound like something that would be kind of fun? Yeah, let's do it. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about some Twins players. Jorge Polanco is off to an incredible start. He commands the strike zone well. I think he's in the top 10 among baseball hitters in Fangraph's war. Actually, sixth. Tied for sixth with, let's see, Austin Meadows, another guy I'm going to ask you about, Paul DeYoung, and Yasmani Grandal. Are you buying this breakout from Jorge Polanco as a guy who is going to be, um, you know, a legitimate shortstop offensive option and, you know, pretty good defender as well? Yeah, obviously he's playing way over his head, mm-hmm. but Polanco's a guy that I've always I've always kind of liked. Like I think he can be definitely an above average, you know, possibly a good major league shortstop. I think he's got, you know, he's got good skills. Obviously from a fantasy perspective, he's going to steal you some bases. He's got a little bit of power, you know, pretty good plate discipline. Uh, he's a guy that that I like. I don't see him as as a stud, mm-hmm. but I do see him as a very, you know a very valuable, you know, contributor to a contending club. So how about Austin Meadows? I mean, I think it's very clear to me that it's going to be very difficult for the Pirates to win that trade, whether it's Tyler Glasnow or Austin Meadows or, hey, how about Shane Boz, who's also a really good prospect? But at this point, man, Meadows is just unbelievable. Just coming off winning AL Hitter of the Week, 
and I tell you, I think that um, he's going to be a really, really great player. Yeah, the uh, the bat is actually really high on on the Rays in general. It loved the Rays coming into the year. Um, it was kind of splitting hairs between whether it thought the Rays or the Twins were going to win the second wild card. So wow. it loved it loved both to begin with. Um, and it's it's a huge fan of Meadows. I'm actually looking at his Fangraphs page right now, and the bat is like easily the high man on Meadows. It it loves his power. It loves his speed. Um, it thinks that speed is going to translate into a higher um, batting average on balls in play than sure. the other systems have him for, which I think is perfectly reasonable. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy who comes with pedigree. He was a you know a pretty pretty big time prospect for a while. Never really you know got that that chance. Never really developed. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like I, I like him. I, I like the skills all around. When it spits out an output for a guy's projection. Is it weighted runs created plus? Is it war, whether baseball reference, baseball prospectus, or fan graphs? What are the outputs for a season-long projection for you? So it, it projects everything. It projects everything you know, from basic you know, strikeouts and walks and home runs down to stuff nobody cares about, like you know, sack flies and fielder's choice oh, wow. and catcher interference, which for the most part are like the same for everybody because they're super noisy. But like it projects everything. And then uh, I give them to fan graphs and they create a whole bunch of different things based on, based on, you know, I say he has, you know, a hundred singles and 25 home runs and 50 doubles or whatever it is. And then they'll convert it to, to WOBA, to WRC plus to, you know, whatever other kind of stats they have on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually kind of ashamed. I, I see it now. So the bat for instance has a 132 weighted runs created plus for Meadows. Yeah, now, it's, it's obsessed with him right now. Well, it and it's, like. an, it's it's got an R after it, so that's rest of the season, right? So, I mean, that's going yeah. to – that's yeah, monstrous. It, that's monstrous. It is monstrous. And and I think part of that is um, the bat takes into account, like, uh, strength of schedule and, like, what parks uh, a player is going to be playing in going forward and what uh, – uh, like what pitchers he's going to be facing and all that kind of stuff. And so he's in a he's in a division where there are there are some really good hitters parks. You know, obviously Tropicana isn't one of them, but but the other four parks in the division are all really good hitters parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some some weak pitchers in that division, especially you know the Yankees have some injuries now. The Orioles are really you know really bad in terms of pitching. Um, there there's you know the Jays really don't have much going on. So so I think that's probably part of it. But it does really like his his talent level also. All right, this is a guy who's hitting 293, 356, 512. Believe it or not, that's a 131-point jump in his weighted runs created plus. Oh, it's just Byron Buxton, sorry. Last year was a complete non-entity for him. Stroked a double in the last at-bat yesterday that ended up being the end of the game because of a throw home that got C.J. Crone that would have been the tying run. However, the bat says 245, 305, 411. So... Still a little bit tepid on Byron Buxton. What are your expectations for him? And are you buying him? Because, I mean, obviously he never gets thrown out stealing bases. He's like 31 for his last 31. Are you buying him as a big-time fantasy asset? Or do you think he has more real-life value? I, I tend to think more more real-life value. He's never been a guy that I've been especially big on. He's not a guy that the bat has really been especially big on. Like his minor league numbers were never really outstanding. They never translated to, you know, superstar major league production. Mm-hmm. People were really on him in drafts last year and and I was not. You know, even this year I thought he was being overdrafted a little bit. Um, you know, this season he's been good so far, but he also has like a BABIP I think close to 400, which is not going I think, to I think it's 375. Um, but his plate discipline has improved. It's still very early. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to tell if that's going to be 
a real sustained improvement or what. Um, you know, hasn't really shown any power yet this year, which is not great. So I don't know, like, and, and even as fast as he is, like you would think that not, you would think he would be capable of stealing 50 or 60 bases in a year, right? but he's, he's never actually had those truly elite attempt rates as fast as he is. Like he doesn't attempt steals at the same rate as the elite base stealers like Billy Hamilton or, um, you know, Malik Smith or whoever. Trey Turner. Um, Trey Turner. Yeah. So like, if he ever did that, I'd have a lot more interest in fantasy, but like he hasn't shown that yet. And I think the the actual skills at the plate still have a lot of question marks. So I'm not a big Buxton guy. Right right now, I'm telling people to get in on the ground floor. I have him at $5 in Autonew, the Fangraphs League. I'm in the second staff league as a member emeritus because I don't write for them anymore. But I, I'm a little bit more on that just because the tools are so loud. But I, I, I don't, I totally see where you're coming from. How about though? The post-apocalyptic Alex Gordon, zombie Alex Gordon. Do you think there's anything there? <laughs> I was not expecting to be asked about Alex Gordon. Um, Whoever is. Yeah, like he's one of these guys that in a really deep league, I tend to to gravitate towards. Like if I was in a deep AL only league, like he's a guy who might have been, you know, a guy I targeted this year for a couple bucks. Sure. Just because like these older boring guys tend to be undervalued. Yes, they but do. But I can't say that I'm really buying into what he's doing this year. Like he's he's Alex Gordon. He's what? Let me see. He's 30, 35 years old. Yeah. And all of a right. sudden he has a 430 Wobo over like 50 at bats. Like I, I don't think I'm buying it. Like I, I think I think he's coming down. 35 year old guys who are league average hitters for years don't suddenly turn into studs. So there's two shortstops that. If we were to recreate the Spider-Man meme with one pointing at the other, I think this would probably be a fairly apt comparison. But Marcus Semien and Tim Anderson are both off to strong starts. Obviously, two toolsy guys. Um, in fact, I think Semien, if I'm not mistaken, was a White Sox prospect at one point. But are either of those guys really jumping out to you? Because, again, like Buxton, at some point, tools can just click, whether yep. it's uh, something you buy into or not. And sometimes they just never do. Uh, are either of these guys on your radar as someone where you're like, okay, maybe they're becoming the player they were meant to be? I know Tim Anderson still swings at sliders three feet off the plate, but that didn't stop Michael Kadire from becoming a decent big leaguer. Yeah. I, you never know. Like you said, with tools, you guys, like it can just at some point click and all of a sudden they're they're great. I don't really think that's what's happening with either of these guys. I have always liked Marcus Semien. Like I've always thought that that he has a good combination of, of skills, especially for fantasy purposes. Um, I always thought there was upside. And even without that upside, like at this point, like he's almost kind of become that old boring guy. He's only 28, but he's been the same guy basically for years. And mm -hmm. people are like, well, you know, I'd rather take a shot on, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. or like whoever, as opposed to, you know, Marcus Semien, who I know what I'm going to get from him. Uh, and that's usually free value because a guy like Semien, especially in a deeper league, you know, people are going to underrate a little bit. And so now if there is the potential for more, yeah, in a deep league, I, I would totally be on Simeon. Um, do I think he's actually turned a corner and is now a stud? Probably not, but it's worth a shot because even if he's not, he still has value. Well, 240 and 20 homers is pretty good value at shortstop. And I think people lose sight of just how hard that can be to get. Maybe not this year with the juiced baseball, but at the same time, you know, 240 and 20 homers is nothing to – to shake a fist at. How about let's move to the other side of the bag in Yoan Mankata, who is, you know, obviously um, a very gifted player. 
it, if you're a big part of a trade for Chris Sale, you obviously have to be. And so, I, I mean, I, I want to believe, but also I know that he had a pretty fair, a pretty strong start last year, and he's still a guy that has some unrefined parts of his game. Yeah, the plate discipline, like the, the strikeout rate is really the big thing. Like if he's striking out 30 to 35% of the time, that's going to be really hard for him to maintain – you know, an adequate level of value. He's improved that so far this year, but again, it's still early. It's tough to know how much of that is real and how much of that is just kind of circumstance and, and small sample. Um, but he's another one of these guys who's super toolsy, has upside through the roof, has the the right blend of skills for, for fantasy purposes. He's got power, he's got speed. Right. And if the strikeouts come down, then maybe his batting average isn't going to kill you. So um, I'd be definitely be willing to take a flyer on him. Um, there, he's one of these guys that if he, and if it ever does, you know, click for him, like he, he could be a star. Let's move to the outfield for a similar toolsy guy before we get into some pitchers. Jock Peterson is off to a really strong start. And I think he doesn't get as much attention because of how good Cody Bellinger is. But I think that a lot of fans had really kind of sold Jock up the river without realizing that even when he wasn't great, I mean, a he's guy who's still who, really good. Yeah, a guy who hits 240 with a 350 on base or whatever. You know, he's got that isolated discipline and some pop. He just wasn't the star I think people expected. Yeah, I, I kind of completely agree with you. I think people were kind of writing off Jock too soon. It almost seemed like the Dodgers were were kind of just almost like wanting to write him off, like yeah. kind of not not playing him as often as you would think, or not giving him the same opportunities that you kind of think he should get. But, but he's a guy that I've always liked. Like, I think he's a very good hitter, like easily one of the top 50 hitters in the league, probably better. I don't know where I have him ranked at this point, sure. but, but if he, if he was inside the bats, like top 30 or 35 or 40, I wouldn't be surprised at all. This is a guy, this is a guy who can hit, he's got power and, and the, the plate discipline has gotten better, um, since, you know, he first got called up, like the strikeout rate has gone down every single year, which is great. Um, I, I like Jock. What do you make of the guy who leads baseball in Fangraph's war among starters, striking out everybody in sight? That's right. We're talking about Matt Boyd. Obviously, obviously the big return in the David Price trade, not, not that Daniel Norris guy. But, uh, no, Matt Boyd has <laughs> really taken a step forward, and I think he's, a, he's an interesting cat to watch. I was on him. In fact, I got – this is a, a maligned trade, but I got a $2 version of him and Miguel Sano for Lorenzo Cain – and it was because my outfield was so strong, and I thought, you know, Kane's not as young as people think he is. But simply getting Boyd for him, I think, was a so far going to be a decent move. But then to get Sano thrown in, and, and we'll see what happens when he's healthy. Um, I'm I'm in on Matt Boyd, maybe not obviously to strike out everyone in sight, but I think he's a really good pitcher. I'm I'm so glad you asked about Matt Boyd because I love Matt Boyd. Okay, I was I scared that you were going to say the opposite. I, yeah, no, I love Matt Boyd. I did a, a thread in the offseason, actually, about how much the bat loved Matt Boyd and why. Because everyone was like, eh, Matt Boyd, he's kind of boring. Like, why do you like Matt Boyd? Mm-hmm. And and a big part of it was was at first um, the division is really bad this year. Like, apart from the Twins, who sure. I think have a good offense, sure. all the other offenses in the division are bad. Even the Indians are are a below-average offense. They're horrible. Especially with all their injuries. They're, they're a bad offense while they're all hurt. Um, and so the, the strength of schedule really was going to work in Boyd's favor and the, the catcher pitch framing was really going to work in Boyd's favor for years. They had, you know, bad pitch framers. They had James McCann and Jared Saltalamacchia Mm -hmm. and, uh, I don't know whoever, whoever else like really bad pitch framers. And now they have Grayson Grenier as their starting catcher. 
and he's a really good pitch framer. So that's a big swing in terms of, you know, Boyd's historical stats and how they would change just based on that. Uh, so between those two things, it was high on all the Tigers pitchers in general, but especially Boyd. It had Boyd projected for a career best ERA, a career best strikeout per nine. And, and he's been even better, obviously, than, than the bad expector that I expected. And a lot of it is looking kind of real. Like I was looking at his pitch FX data, um, I think before his last start, and, and his slider looks great. Like bigger velocity separation between the fastball and the slider, um, you know, bigger, you know, more dive on the slider, more, more vertical movement. Like it, uh, I, I love Matt Boyd. I think people are still kind of underselling him. I think he's a top 30 starter in fantasy right now. And, and you can still probably get him cheaper than that because people are like, is this really how good Matt Boyd is? And he's not this good, but he's really good. I love Matt Boyd. Yeah, I have him for two bucks in a four hundred dollar league. So that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's that's basically handout. I'm also though winning by two hundred points because the person behind me, Cheryl Ring, who you might know from FanGraphs, started Steven Matz yesterday and was a negative forty. Oh, yeah. So I didn't have any starters really going yesterday. I think uh, I don't think I had Jake Arrieta today, who I just benched because I'm already over my innings. But um, yeah, I felt pretty good about picking up ground on someone who started Steven Matz yesterday. How about, though, the post-hype sleeper himself, Luis Castillo? Not not the former twin second baseman, but the uh, ground ball strikeout enthusiast in the National League who I think a lot of people were really big on last year. And I think that's one thing I like about fantasy is I like being second to the table. You know, I grew up in a family of seven, so being second to the table was not good for, <laughs> for dinner. But for fantasy baseball, especially for prospects, I think it's it's definitely beneficial to be second to the table short of like a Mike Trout situation. Yeah, I'm I'm always kind of looking for value as opposed to like trying to to get that flash in the pan guy who, you know, overperformed and we're going to hope that he just keeps doing it because he's mm-hmm. young and exciting. Um those aren't generally my types of guys. Last year I was not on Castillo. Um he kind of disappointed, you know, which was no surprise to me because that tends to happen more often than not. Um I like him this year. I don't think I like him much more than than other people. I think I'm kind of kind of even on Castillo with with the field, but I do think there's plenty of upside here for him still. Like the stuff is great. The strikeouts are up this year. Um, you know, um, I like Castillo. I, I just don't you know I don't love him, but but sure. I like him, and the upside is is definitely there. Let's go into the cold side before we let you go. Jesus Aguilar is off to a brutal start for the Brewers. And the big worry there is that guys who I wouldn't say were flat. There's the flash in the pan factor. Not to say he was a flash in the pan. And I know that our producer is a big Brewers fan. He's nodding, so he, he might cut us all out. Yeah, he might just, piss him he off. just cut the program <laughs> altogether. Yeah, but um, you know, a guy who has a one year jump like that, there's always going to be questions of if they were a flash in the pan. Are you advocating people going to pick him up? Because the thing I think I worry about the most, somebody cut him in my Fangraphs league, and I would have had to have a seventeen dollar waiver claim was. Do I worry about like Eric Thames taking playing time from him or anything like that? I think that's a concern because Thames is is a very good hitter in his own right. And he's getting paid. What's that? And he's making money, you know, so the Brewers may feel obligated to justify his salary and then maybe try to flip him. But you know what I mean? Right. So I think that's the thing that I would maybe worry about the most with Aguilar. Um, But the skills themselves – I'm not overly concerned with like the BABIP is super low this year. That doesn't really concern me. Um, you know, he's not showing the same power that he did, you know, last year or the year before or in the minors the year before, but that's going to come like a guy with his raw power isn't going to not hit home runs. 
And so if he's given the chance, I think they're going to come. And he's a guy that that I would potentially think about buying low on, especially if he's like on your waiver wire and you have a bench spot. There, There's big upside for a guy like this. You know, if he's free, take him. Is it too simple to think that Jimon Choi could be this year's version of him, by the way? I mean, just this is a throwaway point because it's the name that always comes up to me. Um, I love him. I love Yandy Diaz. I was big on Yandy Diaz this season. But um, could Jimon Choi be this year's version of Jesus Aguilar? Um, or am I too? Am I thinking too much into this? Maybe I, he could be in terms of like the overall, the overall value. But I don't see him having the same type of power that Aguilar has. Sure. Like they don't have the same kind of raw power. Obviously, he plays in in an extreme uh, pitcher's park, and Aguilar plays in an extreme hitter's park, especially for home runs. Right. Um, so I don't like him as much as. I wouldn't necessarily make that comparison, but do I think Choi could be a you know a valuable piece in a deeper league? Yeah, for sure. Garrett Hampson is a name that a lot of people were talking about for Colorado, and yep. he's just sputtered out of the gates. How much are you worried about him, especially too, because that infield could get crowded if Brendan Rodgers gets called up eventually too? Yeah, I thought Hampson was one of the most overdrafted players in drafts this year. I, I was not going anywhere near him. People were just buying into the hype. People were basically paying a price for Hampson that said he's going to have to have a full-time job all year mm-hmm. and he's going to have to be really good. And neither of those things were guaranteed, especially the playing time. Like they've had some injuries, which has opened it up, which has been great for him. So if the if the the skills do come along, yeah, he could be good. Like I think part of the struggle has been I think the Rockies have had like one series in cores all year so far. So once they start playing in cores, that's going to help a lot because he's not like a fantastic hitter or anything right now. Like he's never had, you know, in the minors, like he's never had a Wobus season over 400. So he's like an okay hitter with a bunch of speed who can maybe hit for some average and is going to be really, really helped by Coors Field. So if they go to Coors, you know, for a week or two and – and he starts really hitting, I think that's going to help him cement the playing time, which is really going to be the key thing because, like you said, it could wind up getting very crowded. Mm-hmm. And if he is scuffling a little bit, like he could be the odd man out, and I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. How far out are you on you, Darvish, right now? Uh, I'm not a big Darvish fan, and uh, I've, I've played him in fantasy actually the last two times out because the matchups were so good, and I didn't like it because uh, – because I'm not a big Darvish fan. I'm not a big fan of Cubs pitching in general this year. Sure. But, like, if he's free, like, if people are dropping him, like, go pick up Darvish. He's mm-hmm. not as bad as he's been this year. You know, people have been like, oh, since he got traded to the Cubs, like, he's been so terrible. And, like, it's only been, I think, like, 12 starts now with the Cubs. Um, he's pitched against bad teams a grand total of twice in those 12 starts. He's pitched in pitcher's parks a grand total of twice in those starts like it hasn't been easy context for him sure and he was really good before that um you know the strikeouts are still there the stuff is still there he's had issues with his walks but walks over 12 starts are very noisy like it's not something to freak out over so i'm not a huge darvish fan but like there's enough upside where if you're just picking him up off the waiver wire or getting him for pennies like yeah he's got upside still how about similarly chris sale and his declined velocity this year I don't want to talk about Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. No, I, I mean, uh, I mean, so I was I, so high on sale coming into the season and he's just been a massive disappointment. And, uh, I, my, my judgment is very, very biased because okay. I, I want so hard to believe that he's just going to be completely fine. And I'm having 
more and more trouble convincing myself that it's just going to start turning around. <laughs> where do you stand on Brian Dozier? I know we've had some discussions off the air on Twitter about him. Uh, where, where do you see him right now? Yeah, we've talked about Dozier a lot, and he's a guy that I really, really want to like. Like, I yeah. love the past skills. I love the context that he's in this year. I think it's a very good and very underrated Washington lineup around him. It's a good park in Washington. Um, and the skills in the past have been really good. Um, but he hasn't He hasn't been good this year. Last year, you know, he was playing through the injury, and we kind of gave him a pass, and we kind of expected him this year maybe For to sure. come out and be okay. And he really hasn't so far. So I'd almost like you to tell me like what to do with Dozier because like I, I want to think that he's going to get healthy and be great again. But is that is that too optimistic? I, I want to be the next person who owns him in fantasy. I don't want to be the current person I think is, is where I'm at right now because at some point he's going to reach a price where like you, Darvish, you just can't say no. And I think that's where – especially at second base. And you know, starting pitcher, if he's like your fourth or fifth guy – You've got that built-in expectation that it might not be one of your best pitchers. At second base, you know, if you're rolling with someone like a, a Garrett Hampson right now or you were a Nico Goodrum, you know, someone that's fine but certainly not someone that you're going to be married to and Dozier comes across the wire, those are the kind of guys where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm making that move now because I, I still think the skills are there and I do worry about it being a, you know, not necessarily a Dan Uglis situation where it just falls apart overnight, but – it's, it's you just threw a Dan Ugla comp, and that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> but I mean, the very—I mean, he's not as beefy as Dan Ugla, but the power, the kind of came out of nowhere factor. I mean, Dan Ugla was a Rule Five guy, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't—I don't even know if he'd played above A ball or maybe even not even Double A. But yeah, if he falls off like Dan Ugla did, it could be ugly. I mean, Brett Boone was the same way, and he was obviously a much better player, but that was you know different situation, obviously, but. Sometimes second basemen just fall apart, and I hope that Dozier's not one of those guys, but I don't think you can rule it out. Yeah, the, the tough thing with him is that, especially for me, like a lot of what I do now is, is daily fantasy, mm-hmm. and so it's not like uh, like a season-long league where either like you know you, you keep him on your bench or like you know someone else has him and you just decide not to trade for him or whatever. Like every single day, I'm going to be put to a decision: <laughs> Do I play Brian Dozier? Right, Brian Dozier right. is in a good matchup and he's cheap. Do I play him? And that has just been agonizing the past couple days. We've talked about two Dodgers outfielders. How about the third one, AJ Pollock? I like Pollock. I do too. I, uh, I like Pollock a lot. I think the skills are there. I think the surrounding lineup is great. I think Dodger Stadium is is a much better place to hit than people think it is. Um, it's probably a better place to hit than Chase Field at this point, honestly. Oh, wow. So I uh, I like. I like A.J. Pollock. I'm not overly concerned that he's starting slow. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, as long as he stays healthy, and I think that's obviously the the public enemy number one for him as a player. Yeah. Last and one. Is, is Dave Roberts going to let him run too, I think, right. is going to right. be a question. And, and if he doesn't, then then he definitely loses loses value. But, but I think the bat will be fine. Last one is Jose Ramirez, Cleveland, is dreadful start. He was bad in September. It's not a huge sample size, but this is also a guy – who, I mean, Dozier didn't have much of a pedigree. Ramirez didn't have a crazy pedigree either, I don't think. Now, he played like an MVP or, you know, that caliber of a player for a very long time or a significant amount of time that he got that kind of of love. But are you worried about him right now? I'm definitely worried about him. Um, He was a guy that the bat was very slow to buy into in the first place because – 
his minor league track record just wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just kept performing at a high level and kept performing at a high level and kept performing at a high level. Um, but even this year, I thought he's being overdrafted. Like, I think he was not quite the consensus, but, but almost the consensus, like number three pick off the board in most leagues. Wow. And I thought that was just an insane, like way too high. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I'm concerned, like none of the signs this year are good. The strikeouts are up, the walks are down. He's not really hitting the ball very hard. Um, you know, obviously the lineup around him now is significantly worse. Um, so the, the RBI and run totals aren't going to be as high, but, but he's dead. He can't be this bad. Like he's been an elite player now for like three years in a row. He's not all of a sudden bad. Like he's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of like, if you were thinking you were going to get, you know, third or fourth player value from him, like you're not, and you probably were never going to. Well, Derek, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you going through hot and cold and, and diving into the bat we'll talk about the blitz maybe we can get you on with some football guys at some point yeah, get them on the machine get them on the football machine that's our big podcast in the network yeah, here great they uh they're crazy about that kind of stuff but hey thank you so much for taking time people can follow you on twitter at Derek cardi that's d-e-r-e-k-k-c-a-r-t-y at kc in the middle again trip me up but uh, yeah Derek cardi thank you so much for your time man Thanks for having me on. It was you a lot got of fun. It. So for Justin producing Tom at T. Schreier, three across the table from me, this is Brandon Warren signing off saying thank you so much for listening to Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. 